Okay, so we start out with a conundrum. We all know there's nothing practical about Christian living. It's 100% supernatural, right? But we serve a tricky God. He is 100% God, 100% man. Are you familiar with that doctrine? Okay, then you're Christians. Good. I just want to start there. The life that we live, practically speaking, we are here. We are not yet in heaven, correct? Okay, and yet the Lord says uh, through Paul that we are seated with him in heavenly places. So we are citizens of this earth now, and we're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And one day, and I can't wait, we get to be with him and see him face to face, and it's another day. But until then... He has elected to put us here. So we may long for heaven, but the Lord says, well, I appreciate that, but I want you here now. Is that okay with you? Yeah. If it's the Lord's idea, even if we hate it, we should love it. Because if it's his idea, he's doing something. So he has allowed us to be here to do his work while we're here. And he chooses when we leave here. We don't choose, right? You read a lot. If you want to know... If somebody understands God, you read a lot in the papers about somebody saying, I don't like my lifestyle anymore. I'm in my 80s. I can't do the things I want to do. So I think I'm going to, I'm going to leave. Well, God forbid that you would leave before God takes you. God has chosen to put us here. A lot of times I think to myself, I'm watching Turner Classic movies. You ever watch Turner Classic movies? It's kind of the only thing that you can watch sometimes, right? And, um, and I think, boy, I wish I could have lived in the 1930s. It's so beautiful, and everybody's dressed so elegantly. It's so wonderfully. We often think thoughts like that, but you have to remember, Jesus wanted you to be alive now. That's what he did. And here's another piece for you. You might not like this. He wanted you to be the age you are now. People say, I wish I was younger. Well, the Lord doesn't. The Lord doesn't wish you were younger. He, he's not dumb. He knows exactly how old you're supposed to be. And you're that age now. Doesn't mean you have to look your age. Doesn't mean you have to act your age. But you have to, you have to be your age. So we, there's always this conundrum. We have these, this spiritual longing. We want to be with the Lord in heaven. But the Lord says, okay, but you're here now. And I have practical things for you to do. And being a Christian, you heard this morning, part of it, there's nothing practical about it. You've got to cast your cares on the Lord. You've got to say, I can do nothing in the natural. It's got to be the, Lord, the Lord's strength in my weakness, right? So, that, so, so you have to understand that. But then you also have to understand that, well, that doesn't mean I, I, I lie on my bed and the Lord goes to work for me and he punches the clock because the Lord has appointed you with legs so you can go to the subway and you can go to the job. So you have to maintain this, this tension. Okay, so practically speaking, one of the most important things that we do as believers is share our faith. We've heard about this. And so practically, how do you do it? This has been a real stumbling block for the church over, over the years and because I, I think sometimes the more holy you are, the more difficult it is for you to speak to people who don't get that stuff, right? But the Lord wants us to speak to those people more than anything. He loves those people. How do we reach those people? So uh, I'm going to communicate this to you today uh, in part by telling you a story, but also I'm going I'm to recite three short poems for you. I'm a Yale English major. I'm allowed to do that. I checked with the pastors. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, here's the issue. How do we reach a world 
that does not know that this is the word of God, right? If you start quoting scripture at somebody, now, don't get me wrong. We all know the miracles. God can speak through Balaam's ass. God can, you know, make fire come out of this and knock the guy down, uh, you know, in the subway. Anything can happen. But more often than not, if you quote scripture at somebody that does not have a scriptural background, they just look at you like, that's good for you, but leave me alone. I have no idea what you're even talking about because you're probably quoting the King James, right? They're like, I'm fear and admonition of God. Well, what is admonition? I, I got to get, this is my stop. Excuse me. I got to go. They don't know what you're talking about, right? So the other day I was invited to speak at my hometown. Now, you all know that I'm a New Yorker. I was born in Queens. Uh, I, I grew up here and... Uh, one of the reasons I love this church is I met my wife at this church. I won't point her out because she gets very embarrassed. She's right there. And I met my wife at this church. Again. But, but my real hometown is Danbury, Connecticut, okay? In 1970-something, we moved to Connecticut. And um, I grew up there. So I was invited to speak at a prayer breakfast in Danbury, Connecticut. And it's more evangelistic, right? They wanted, there's going to be a lot of people there that, you know, they're not hearing the gospel. And I, and I wasn't sure what I was supposed to share. How do you speak to people? And... I went up there on, uh, I guess it was last Tuesday, and uh, I slept over with my parents, and that's when my parents told me, we don't have any hot water, Eric. You don't take showers in the morning, do you? Uh, But um, I knew the next morning I have to get up at 6 o'clock and speak evangelistically. Okay, when we're speaking evangelistically to this generation, what do we say? Well, there's a million answers, but practically speaking, the Lord gave me this. First of all, my mother said to me that evening, this is the night before, said to me that evening, you know, the spring is so beautiful this year that the other day I was just looking at the beauty of the spring and I started crying. Now, there's a hint there. There's a hint there about Jesus. Why do we cry at beauty? If we are just, you know, Robots, or, or we just evolved out of primordial soup and we're just here by accident or whatever. Why would we weep at beauty? Why would anybody look at the spring and get choked up? Why? Well, I know why. Because you are created in the image of God. And when you see anything beautiful or true or glorious, even if you don't know Jesus is the author of that, your heart and your being, which is made in his image, responds to it. So that is one apologetic to the world because most people, unless you're a hard-hearted monster, you respond to a newborn baby, uh, to the spring. And so I, I realized my mother was weeping because something inside her knows that there's an author of the spring and he is beautiful and good and true. And the spring and the beauty of spring is speaking of him. It's whispering his name. One of the things we can do is simply point that out. It resonates in people's hearts. The next morning I woke up and I didn't get to take a hot shower. I think I've mentioned that. You could, you could see I'm still struggling to forgive my parents over this issue. It's like, come on, I got to preach. I need a shower. And um, downstairs uh, in the morning, I'm getting ready. My father's there. My father's 90 and my father says to me, he, he doesn't know what my mother said to me. Uh, he just, apropos of nothing, quotes to me a short Greek poem that he learned in 1933 
when he was six. He learned it in first grade. And he quotes this poem to me. I'm going to read it in Greek. Now, if anybody has the interpretation, just stand and deliver the interpretation. <laughs> just, de just deliver it, because that's, that's one of the gifts. Somebody should have that gift. If this is a real church, somebody should have that gift. If not, I will deliver the interpretation, all right? But this is the poem that my father said to me. I want to read it in the Greek because it's, it's beautiful. Um, this is my 90-year-old dad, apropos of nothing. I wake up and he says this to me. He says, Irthe pali i anixis, irthan taluludia, prasina i hisphori, ke pandu haras hori, ke haras trahudia. That's a poem about the spring. My father learned it when he was six years old. It has stuck with him all these years. What it means, the spring comes again. The spring returns. Now, the funny thing is, and we all know this, translation never really is good. That's why if we were all smart, we would learn biblical Greek and Hebrew. Because you cannot ever really translate it, right? But when my father says to me, the spring comes again. Okay. Anixis, the Greek word anixis is spring. And I said to my father, I'd never heard that before. Anixis means the opening, like the flowering. So the word for spring in Greek is, is like the opening. It's, it's so beautiful. It's, it just touched my heart. So he says this to me. The spring comes. The flowers come. Imagine six-year-olds reciting this in 1933. I'm getting choked up thinking about that. And the Greeks have a great word for flowers. Flowers is not that great. They say luludia. Can you say luludia? I love that. Luludia. Ta luludia. The spring comes. The flowers come. Prasina ihis fori. The earth is dressed in green, is wearing green. Ke pandu haras fori, ke haras trahudia. And everywhere, joyful dances, and jo except right back there. Except <laughs> everywhere, joyful dances and joyful singing. Now, this is a paean, P-A-E-A-N. This is an ode to spring, taught to a little boy, my father, 80-something years ago. And when he read this to me, he started crying at the end. I mean, he, he recites it to me. He's remembered it for 85 years, right? He starts, he's choked up, he's crying at the beautiful poem about the beautiful spring. And I said, I think the Lord is speaking to me here. Because I'm asking how I'm going to share evangelistically with this group of people in Danbury, Connecticut at the Amber Room. And my mother says this thing, she's from Germany, she gets choked up. My father says this thing the next morning from Greece, and he's choked up. And I thought, look folks, <laughs> The spring speaks of Jesus. Every good thing in creation, every beautiful thing, every truthful thing points to the author whose name is Jesus. Sometimes all you need to do is point that out to people. People aren't stupid. They know that beauty moves them, right? Unless you're dealing with a real nutcase, you know, probably like really smart young people that know everything. Don't bother with them talking about the beauty of spring. But I'm saying your normal person who has lived life and who suffered heartache and all these things, whatever, we respond to beauty. And so when my father said this and he gets, I said, this is God speaking because every beautiful thing, everything points to the Lord. 
Now, this is something I think the church has often missed. We've often missed because remember that the biblical faith, it's a conundrum, right? It's a paradox. We always talk about this is not our home. That is our home. Well, that's true. But we're here now. And the Lord created this earth and he said it is good. And so this earth often and this world often speaks of him and points to him. And I said, all you need to do is tell somebody, a normal person, isn't the spring beautiful? Doesn't it touch you? What is it about spring? What is it about the beauty of a baby? What is it? He said, you know what? I'll tell you what it is. It's God. This is pointing to God. There's something about spring. There's something about all beauty that points to God. I will say that. All beauty that points to God. And we in the church, sometimes we get very religious in the negative sense. And we say, unless it's stamped with Jesus as Lord, I I don't know. I don't know about it, right? Some of you know the the musician um, Phil Kagey, Christian musician. Um, He put out all of this beautiful Christian music some years ago. Really, really beautiful Christian music. Many of you know, you listen to his albums, but just, he's just in love with Jesus. And then he put out an instrumental album. And a lot of the Pharisaical critics got very confused If it doesn't have words about Jesus, is it Christian music? I find that funny. That's like saying that apple, is that a Christian apple? Uh, Is that tree, is that a Christian tree? What about that cloud? Is that cloud saved? I was watching, uh, some of you saw the Kentucky Kentucky Derby yesterday, right? And we happen to know uh, the owners of the horse that won, okay? That's the only reason we're tuning in. We have a friend that, that, uh, and these people are crazy for Jesus. They love Jesus. They named one horse creator and it won the Belmont Stakes or something. I'm not exactly into horse racing, okay? Um, Or gambling, in case you're wondering, okay? But the point is, I'm watching the Kentucky Derby and it's this beautiful thing and this horse, Justify, wins. And I joked around. I said, you know, that's a Christian horse. I want you to know. That's why it won. That horse is, that's a praying horse. Uh, But then... A woman uh, reporter on a horse with a microphone pack or whatever is running after the jockey. He's on his horse, still riding, justify the winner. She's chasing him, and she says to him, what do you have to say to to the jockey, right? And he says, first of all, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the theme here, folks, is no matter where you look, you look at the beauty of spring, You look at the winner of a horse race. I don't care where you look. Jesus is everywhere. And you do not need, you do not need to worry about having necessarily a scripture ready. Now you should, but what I'm saying is Jesus is everywhere. And I'm here to tell you, he created everything. And there's not an atom in the universe that is not being sustained now by Jesus of Nazareth. So we got to think about that. Now, let's look at the scripture. Colossians 1.17. Just because I want to I back this up before uh, Pastor Carter gives me the hook. I got to back this up. <laughs> Colossians. <did it>, Colossians. <laughs> Is this biblical what he's saying? It sounds good, but I don't know. Okay. Look at Colossians 1.17. 
Because we need to, this, this is actually, I believe this is very important for the church. I really do believe it's very important for us to understand this. Uh, 17, now you can read the whole thing, but it says, 17 says, he, meaning the Lord, is before all things and in him all things hold together. Now you read different translations, in him all things consist, in him all things cohere. The point is, it's not like we're just behind enemy lines. Yes, we're behind enemy lines, but every atom in the universe is being sustained now by Jesus. There's no escaping him. So I want to make a clear distinction. Sometimes we have felt embattled as the church, right? And so we have to go, we hide in our holy huddles, right? Because we don't want to be touched by the world. Now we understand there's something right about that. We're supposed to be separated. We're supposed to be holy. But why? So that at some point we can leave the fortress and start converting people outside the fortress we just heard about doing that in this neighborhood why do we exist why are we still here why aren't we translated to glory now because the lord has work for us to do and that work usually consists of dealing with people who don't believe as you believe and those people need to be pointed to jesus but this scripture right here tells us that in him all things hold together Wherever you look, folks, I want, to say, I want to declare this to you. Wherever Any good thing you see, any beautiful thing you see, any true thing you see, points to Jesus. We need to understand this, that we're not, we're not left without evidence in this world. We're not left without evidence. There's a book, um, I wrote a forward to a book recently called Chance or the Dance, written by one of my favorite Christian authors named Thomas Howard. Uh, he's the brother of Elizabeth Elliot, you know, who, whose husband was killed as a missionary in the, in, the, in the 60s. Maybe some of you don't know that, but it's an amazing story. But he wrote a book called Chance or the Dance. And in this book, he talks about the difference between two ways of seeing the world. The pagan secular view that says nothing means anything, right? People say, see that person over there? What is that person? You say, oh, that person is a bunch of molecules and atoms and they, I remember hearing this in school in the 70s. They would say that, you know, if we sold the chemicals that make up your body, it would get like, you know, $2.96, right? In other words, it's a reductionist idea that all you are is what you are physically, right? So if you say, what is that tree? They would break it down into the components of what it is. They say, that's what it is. And you say, wait a second, that doesn't seem right. God's view is a little different, isn't it? God's view says that everything speaks of the glory of God. When you look at a sunset, people say, well, it's just the refraction of the light, blah, 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 blah. Well, it is that. But if that's all you think it is, you're a fool. And even fools know that the sunset is more than a sunset. Why does it touch my heart? Why? Because I'm created in the image of God. And he wants to speak to me, to pierce my heart, even with things like sunsets. And sometimes as believers, that's all we need to do is point it out. If you're sitting with somebody watching a beautiful sunset, you can say, you know, that's how I know God exists. Look at that sunset. Does that not touch you? Why does it touch you? Tell me why. I'll tell you why. Because it speaks of the one who invented the sunset. And he invented it for you, to speak to you. Have you ever seen the blue color, the glorious blue color of a sky? It's, it's not reproducible. If you ever look at a, at a sky, a beautiful sky, the depth of that blue color, that to me is evidence of God. 
It could be a nasty color. But somehow it's a color that is so beautiful that it touches my heart. Everywhere we look, folks, there's evidence of Jesus everywhere. And we need to declare it. I want to say that in that poem, um, I'm sorry, in the book Chance of the Dance, uh, he talks about if everything is just by chance, random chance, right? That's this atheistic idea that we just got here by chance. Nothing means anything, right? Now, nobody really believes that. They might say it. But nobody believes it because even the most hard-hearted atheist is created in the image of God and knows that some things are good and some things are bad. You can't pretend that there's no meaning in the universe, but they talk a good talk. Well, we need to talk a better talk. Chance or the dance? The dance is that the Lord God created the universe. He created it good. And he declares that the heavens declare the glory of God. So everywhere we look, we can see a living poem, the history of the world from fall to the redemption. All of that is history points to God. Everything points to God. Science points to God. In the last 50 or so years, I spoke about this, uh, I think when I talked about my miracles book maybe a year ago, science is now corroborating that God has to exist. I, I write about it in my miracles book, and by the way, on your way out, you're going to see walls of yellow books. Uh, don't, don't, don't kick over the money uh, uh, changers, temp the temples. It's, it's like the money changers are in the temple. It's a, if, if Pastor Dave were here, he would be very upset. Uh, but I'm here to tell you that the, the reason I wrote that book is to bring non-believers to faith in Jesus, right? And in that book, I write about this scientific thing, okay? Science is pointing to Jesus. Folks, don't believe the lie. Science is at odds with faith. That is nonsense. Do I need to tell you the Lord who created the universe? I think he knows something about science. I think he invented science. I think he gave us curiosity to know about the world we live in, and that's called science. And, and unless we are all insane, science points to Jesus, period. History points to Jesus. Archaeology points to Jesus. You know that more and more and more there's archaeology, biblical archaeology, that we keep finding. A hundred years ago, if somebody said to you, you know what, it's all fairy tales and folk tales and there's no evidence. Well, back then, you would have said, I, I don't know what to tell you. Today, the evidence is sick, overwhelming. If you don't want to believe in the Bible, you've got problems, folks, from archaeology. Everywhere you look, everywhere you look. But as I was saying... The beauty of this world points to God. And one classic example of that is something as average, except it's not average, it's extraordinary, as marriage. You know and I know, we're living in crazy times, right? But it says God created us male and female. Even that is a picture of God. You want to know what God looks like? He created us in his image, male and female. We're representing different parts and, and Different parts of God. And if you think about it, every race and culture in the world represents a different piece of God. That's very interesting. That all together, we bespeak the image of God. But in this day, when you talk about marriage, if you say that, it's, people say, well, can you say that? Yes, you can. And I'm, and I'm saying it. Marriage... You want to know what is marriage? People say, well, marriage is a contract between two people, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, it might be that. But you know what else it is? It is a picture of the union 
of the bride of Christ, his church, with the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Their union, which is going to be a reality one day at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You need to understand that just as every sunset points to Jesus and every spring points to Jesus, every marriage is a picture of the union of the bridegroom Christ and his bride dressed in white prepared for him for this union that will happen. It is an amazing thing, folks. Everywhere you look, God has given us pictures of himself. Everywhere you look. I don't need to tell you that, um, that the scripture points to God. I don't need to tell you that. You know that. I'm talking about the second book. What do they call that? God's second book, Nature, right? Don't forget, folks, that people who don't believe this book, you don't need to use this book right away. We've got another book. You can talk about sunsets. You can talk about the beauty. I was just at a wedding, and you can speak about that. You say, what is that? It's something more than two people making a contract, I think. It speaks about heaven. There's another scripture I want to turn to. Look at Acts 17, 28. This is, this is amazing. Part of what I'm saying here is that God doesn't just want us to be hunkered down uh, in, in a holy huddle protected from this dirty world. He wants us to invade this dirty world. He wants us to go down into the demon-infested valleys and cast out the demons and take ground for the kingdom. We are supposed to be on the offense. We're supposed to go out and all the things of this world, we're supposed to baptize them and redeem them in the name of Jesus, just as we were redeemed and baptized in the name of Jesus. We who were once separated from him. Look what Paul does in Acts. This is amazing, actually. Uh, Paul in Acts uh, 17, 28, he is quoting, now imagine this, this is holy scripture. Paul is quoting a pagan Greek philosopher, Epimenides, and then he quotes uh, another Stoic philosopher, Eratus. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being. He's quoting a pagan philosopher. And then he says, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Folks. Do you see what God is doing? God is taking pagan philosophy and pagan poetry and baptizing it and making part of it part of the holy word of God. If I were a pagan, if I had written poetry, I would ever, they should fear that God has deputized his people to take over everything for his purposes. Do you understand? Do you think when these guys came up with this, that they would realize that my words are going to come, become part of the holy scriptures of God. Folks, that is the power of God. To touch everything for himself. To take ground that has belonged to the enemy. To take it. And I want to tell you that anytime you see anything in this world that is beautiful or good or true, that is of God. It points to God. And it's our job to point that out to people. We don't have to hit them overhead with it. But to point it out to them, there's a poem by C.S. Lewis, which uh, some of you know C.S. Lewis, some of you don't. Bear with me. Uh, but this is one of my favorite poems, and it speaks of what we're talking about. I, I, I want to I read this to you. Um, it's, it's, just, it's so biblical. I'll explain it as soon as I read it. I'll read it first. But it's about a bird, uh, a bird singing in springtime. 
Uh, and he writes, I heard in Addison's walk a bird sing clear. This year, the summer will come true. This year, this year, already there, he's saying the summer is not just the summer. The summer is a picture of the kingdom of God. And one day we will step through this summer into the eternal summer of the kingdom of heaven. So the spring speaks of God. The summer speaks of God. The birds speak of God. Some of you have heard that the stones will cry out. Are they Christian stones? Well, yes, in a way, because every atom, every molecule is is held together by Jesus. Everything cries of Jesus, everything. So C.S. Lewis in this poem says, the bird sings, this year the summer will come true. How beautiful and poetic that the summer itself is a promise from God that one day there will be a summer that never ends, a spring that never ends, a beautiful world. So he goes on, he says, winds will not strip the blossoms from the apple trees this year, nor want of rain destroy the peas. He's talking about one day, spring and summer will never end. He says, this year, time's nature will no more defeat you, nor all the promised moments in their passing cheat you. Do you ever feel that way, that there are these promises and you want to believe the promises, but not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. He's saying that one day, one day, this will happen. The bird is singing this, 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 this idea that God, what God has declared, will happen. He says, this time, they will not lead you round and back to autumn, one year older by the well-worn track. This year, this year, now also you also understand in this poem, this year, this year, it's supposed to sound like a bird, isn't it? This year, this year, as all these flowers foretell, we shall escape the circle and undo the spell. The curse, the curse of Eden. One day we will escape this circle and by the grace of God break through into eternal springtime and summer. And then there's an, an evangelistic couplet at the end. Often deceived, yet open once again your heart. Quick, 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 quick. The gates are drawn apart. The gates will one day be opened and we will be invited into the kingdom of heaven. My brothers and sisters, the summer is God's promise to each of us that there is an eternal summer. Now to some people, that's the only thing that will preach. If you open up the scripture, they're not going to understand it. They won't get it. Sometimes we get pushed into religious corners in this world. And I just want to tell you, folks, that we should not participate with the world in shoving us into a religious corner. You understand that we're to be on the offensive and that everything in heaven and earth is created by the Lord and belongs to him. Every tongue will confess his name. So when people say in some countries, oh, they have freedom of worship, we don't need freedom of worship. We need freedom of religion so that after we're done worshiping, we march out and we bring him with us. We don't bow to the secular philosophy of the state once we leave this building, do we? The freedom of Christ wants to be brought everywhere by his ambassadors. We are his ambassadors behind enemy lines, folks. And the practical Christian life means that we live that every single 
day, every single day. And what I'm trying to say is that the Lord wants us to take everything for Jesus. Everything. You want to talk about marriage? I'll talk about marriage. It's a picture of Jesus and his bridegroom and his bride. What do you think of that? You want to talk about anything. It points to him. I want to close with a third poem. Now, this poem is very short. In my Amazing Grace book, I quote it, and it says, Anonymous. That's a lie. I'm the author of this poem. It's very short. The title of the poem is Renaissance. Some of you know what Renaissance means. It means rebirth. Ringing any bells? Rebirth. It's about spring. Here's the poem, very short. Glory, glory, said the bee. Hallelujah, said the flea. Praise the Lord, remarked the wren. At springtime, all is born again. Folks, there is not an atom in heaven or earth that does not point to Jesus. I'm here to tell you when you go out there, when you walk these streets, every pagan piece of poetry, anything that has truth in it, that truth belongs to Jesus. And it is our job to claim these things for him, for his glory. If I were living in the world today and I didn't believe these things, I would be scared because we're, we're, we're saying that science belongs to Jesus. All truth belongs to Jesus. All beauty belongs to Jesus. When you see a beautiful woman, you say, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. When you hear a beautiful song, you don't say, why does the devil have all the good music? You say, if it's beautiful, who invented beauty? Jesus. Let us not hide in religious corners, folks. Let us take the truth of Jesus Christ and spread it everywhere until we break through into eternal summer and are with him face to face forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord God, I lift up every soul that is here asking for wisdom. Father God, unless you give us wisdom, we are foolish, Lord God. We don't know uh, where we can go and whom we can speak with and what is safe, Lord God. When it's safe uh, to come out of our holy huddle, Lord God, you have to protect us from this world even as we go into this world, Father God. And we ask you now by the power of your Holy Spirit to deputize every soul that's come forward and anyone that's come forward in their hearts that desires your wisdom and your discernment on these issues of how, by your grace, we can reach those whose hearts are crying out even if they don't know it. Father God, they're all around us, Lord. Deputize us here to be your church on the offensive, Lord God, carrying your banner into the furthest corners of darkness, Father God, for your eternal purposes, Father. Deputize people here to move uh, in the gifts of the Spirit, that, that you would speak to them by your Holy Spirit, that they would know things about people and that they would be able to share sweetly, 
from their hearts the things that you have revealed, Father God. Lord, you have deputized us as your church for your purposes in this generation, in this city, and to the ends of the earth. Father, I pray for your anointing of miraculous power and miraculous wisdom from heaven on every soul here and that you would use each soul here to bring your name to their neighbors and to the people with whom they come in contact, Father God, that your church would expand and that nothing, Lord God, could escape you, Father God, that you will send out your army, Lord, here assembled and that we would bring the love of Jesus to everyone in this city, Father God. Let it be done in your holy name. Amen. God bless you.